Section eleven of Man and Wife. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Man and Wife by Wilkie Collins. First scene. Chapter the eighth. The Scandal. It was still early in the afternoon when the guests at Lady Lundy's lawn-party began to compare notes together in corners, and to agree in arriving at a general conviction that something was wrong. Blanche had mysteriously disappeared from her partners in the dance. Lady Lundy had mysteriously abandoned her guests. Blanche had not come back. Lady Lundy had returned with an artificial smile and a preoccupied manner. She acknowledged that she was not very well. The same excuse had been given to account for Blanche's absence, and again, some time previously, to explain Miss Sylvester's withdrawal from the croquet. A wit among the gentlemen declared it reminded him of declining a verb. I am not very well, thou art not very well, she is not very well, and so on. Sir Patrick, too. Only think of the sociable Sir Patrick being in a state of seclusion, pacing up and down by himself in the loneliest part of the garden. And the servants again! It had even spread to the servants. They were presuming to whisper in corners like their betters. The housemaids appeared spasmodically where housemaids had no business to be. Doors banged and petticoats whisked in the upper regions. Something wrong, depend upon it, something wrong! "'We had much better go away. "'My dear, order the carriage. "'Louisa, love, no more dancing. "'Your papa is going. "'Good afternoon, Lady Lundy. "'Ha! Oh, thanks very much. "'So sorry for dear Blanche. "'Oh, it's been too charming.' "'So society jabbered its poor, nonsensical little jargon "'and got itself politely out of the way before the storm came. This was exactly the consummation of events for which Sir Patrick had been waiting in the seclusion of the garden. There was no evading the responsibility which was now thrust upon him. Lady Lundy had announced it as a settled resolution, on her part, to trace Anne to the place in which she had taken refuge, and discover, purely in the interests of virtue, whether she actually was married or not. Blanche, already overwrought by the excitement of the day, had broken into an hysterical passion of tears on hearing the news, and had then, on recovering, taken a view of her own of Anne's flight from the house. Anne would never have kept her marriage a secret from Blanche. Anne would never have written such a formal farewell letter as she had written to Blanche. If things were going as smoothly with her as she was trying to make them believe at Windygates— some dreadful trouble had fallen on Anne, and Blanche was determined, as Lady Lundy was determined, to find out where she had gone, and to follow, and to help her. It was plain to Sir Patrick, to whom both ladies had opened their hearts at separate interviews, that his sister-in-law in one way, and his niece in another, were equally likely, if not duly restrained, to plunge headlong into acts of indiscretion which might lead to very undesirable results. A man in authority was sorely needed at Windygates that afternoon, and Sir Patrick was fain to acknowledge that he was the man. "'Much is to be said for, and much is to be said against a single life,' thought the old gentleman, walking up and down the sequestered garden-path to which he had retired, and applying himself at shorter intervals than usual to the knob of his ivory cane. "'This, however, is—' 
I take it, certain. A man's married friends can't prevent him from leading the life of a bachelor, if he pleases. But they can, and do, take devilish good care that he shan't enjoy it. Sir Patrick's meditations were interrupted by the appearance of a servant, previously instructed to keep him informed of the progress of events at the house. "'They're all gone, Sir Patrick,' said the man. "'That's a comfort, Simpson. We have no visitors to deal with now, except the visitors who are staying in the house.' "'None, Sir Patrick.' "'They are all gentlemen, are they not?' "'Yes, Sir Patrick.' "'That's another comfort, Simpson. Very good. I'll see Lady Lundy first. Does any other form of human resolution approach the firmness of a woman who is bent on discovering the frailties of another woman whom she hates? You may move rocks under a given set of circumstances, but here is a delicate being in petticoats who shrieks if a spider drops on her neck and shudders if you approach her after having eaten an onion. Can you move her under a given set of circumstances as set forth above? Not you. Sir Patrick found her ladyship instituting her inquiries on the same admirably exhaustive system which is pursued in cases of disappearance by the police. Who was the last witness who had seen the missing person? Who was the last servant who had seen Anne Sylvester? Begin with the men-servants, from the butler at the top to the stable-boy at the bottom. Go on with the women-servants, from the cook in all her glory to the small female child who weeds the garden. Lady Lundy had cross-examined her way downward as far as the page, when Sir Patrick joined her. "'My dear lady, pardon me for reminding you again that this is a free country, and that you have no claim whatever to investigate Miss Sylvester's proceedings after she has left your house.' Lady Lundy raised her eyes devotionally to the ceiling. She looked like a martyr to duty. If you had seen her ladyship at that moment, you would have said to yourself, a martyr to duty. No, Sir Patrick, as a Christian woman, that is not my way of looking at it. This unhappy person has lived under my roof. This unhappy person has been the companion of Blanche. I am responsible. I am, in a manner, morally responsible. I would give the world to be able to dismiss it as you do. But no, I must be satisfied that she is married in the interests of propriety, for the quieting of my own conscience, before I lay my head on my pillow to-night, Sir Patrick, before I lay my head on my pillow to-night. One word, Lady Lundy. No, repeated her ladyship, with the most pathetic gentleness. You are right, I dare say, from the worldly point of view. I can't take the worldly point of view. The worldly point of view hurts me. She turned with impressive gravity to the page. You know where you will go, Jonathan, if you tell lies. Jonathan was lazy. Jonathan was pimply. Jonathan was fat. But Jonathan was orthodox. He answered that he did know, and, what is more, he mentioned the place. Sir Patrick saw that further opposition on his part at that moment would be worse than useless. He wisely determined to wait, before he interfered again, until Lady Lundy had thoroughly exhausted herself and her inquiries. 
at the same time as it was impossible in the present state of her ladyship's temper to provide against what might happen if the enquiries after Anne unluckily proved successful he decided on taking measures to clear the house of the guests in the interests of all parties for the next four-and-twenty hours i only want to ask you a question lady lundy he resumed the position of the gentlemen who are staying here is not a very pleasant one while all this is going on if you had been content to let the matter pass without notice we should have done very well as things are don't you think it will be more convenient to everybody if i relieve you of the responsibility of entertaining your guests as head of the family stipulated lady lundy as head of the family answered sir patrick i gratefully accept the proposal said lady lundy i beg you won't mention it rejoined sir patrick he quitted the room leaving jonathan under examination he and his brother the late sir thomas had chosen widely different paths in life and had seen but little of each other since the time when they had been boys sir patrick's recollections on leaving lady lundy appeared to have taken him back to that time and to have inspired him with a certain tenderness for his brother's memory he shook his head and sighed a sad little sigh poor tom he said to himself softly after he had shut the door on his brother's widow poor tom on crossing the hall he stopped the first servant he met to inquire after blanche miss blanche was quiet upstairs closeted with her maid in her own room quiet thought sir patrick that's a bad sign i shall hear more of my niece pending that event the next thing to do was to find the guests unerring instinct led sir patrick to the billiard-room there he found them in solemn conclave assembled wondering what they had better do sir patrick put them all at their ease in two minutes what do you say to a day's shooting to-morrow he asked every man present sportsman or not said yes you can start from this house pursued sir patrick or you can start from a shooting cottage which is on the windygates property among the woods on the other side of the moor the weather looks pretty well settled for scotland and there are plenty of horses in the stables it is useless to conceal from you gentlemen that events have taken a certain unexpected turn in my sister-in-law's family circle you will be equally lady lundy's guests whether you choose the cottage or the house for the next twenty-four hours let us say which shall it be everybody with or without rheumatism answered the cottage very good pursued sir patrick it is arranged to ride over to the shooting cottage this evening and to try the moor on that side the first thing in the morning if events here will allow me i shall be delighted to accompany you and do the honours as well as i can if not i am sure you will accept my apologies for to-night and permit lady lundy's steward to see to your comfort in my place adopted unanimously sir patrick left the guests to their billiards and went out to give the necessary orders at the stables in the meantime blanche remained portentously quiet in the upper regions of the house while lady lundy steadily pursued her inquiries downstairs she got on from jonathan last of the males indoors to the coachman first of the males out of doors and dug down man by man through that new stratum until she struck the stable-boy at the bottom not an atom of information having been extracted in the house or out of the house from man or boy her ladyship fell back on the women next 
she pulled the bell and summoned the cook hester dethridge a very remarkable-looking person entered the room elderly and quiet scrupulously clean eminently respectable her grey hair neat and smooth under her modest white cap her eyes set deep in their orbits looking straight at any person who spoke to her here at a first view was a steady trustworthy woman here also on closer inspection was a woman with the seal of some terrible past suffering set on her for the rest of her life you felt it rather than saw it in the look of immovable endurance which underlay her expression in the death-like tranquillity which never disappeared from her manner her story was a sad one so far as it was known she had entered lady lundie's service at the period of lady lundie's marriage to sir thomas her character given by the clergyman of her parish described her as having been married to an inveterate drunkard and as having suffered unutterably during her husband's lifetime there were drawbacks to engaging her now that she was a widow on one of the many occasions on which her husband had personally ill-treated her he had struck her a blow which had produced very remarkable nervous results she had lain insensible many days together and had recovered with the total loss of her speech in addition to this objection she was odd at times in her manner and she made it a condition of accepting any situation that she should be privileged to sleep in a room by herself as a set-off against all this it was to be said on the other side of the question that she was sober rigidly honest in all her dealings and one of the best cooks in england in consideration of this last merit the late sir thomas had decided on giving her a trial and had discovered that he had never dined in his life as he dined when hester dethridge was at the head of his kitchen she remained after his death in his widow's service lady lundie was far from liking her an unpleasant suspicion attached to the cook which sir thomas had overlooked but which persons less sensible of the immense importance of dining well could not fail to regard as a serious objection to her medical men consulted about her case discovered certain physiological anomalies in it which led them to suspect the woman of feigning dumbness for some reason best known to herself she obstinately declined to learn the deaf and dumb alphabet on the grounds that dumbness was not associated with deafness in her case stratagems were invented seeing that she really did possess the use of her ears to entrap her into also using her speech and failed efforts were made to induce her to answer questions relating to her past life in her husband's time she flatly declined to reply to them one and all at certain intervals strange impulses to get a holiday away from the house appeared to seize her if she was resisted she passively declined to do her work if she was threatened with dismissal she impenetrably bowed her head as much as to say give me the word and i go over and over again lady lundie had decided naturally enough on no longer keeping such a servant as this but she had never yet carried the decision to execution a cook who is a perfect mistress of her art who asks for no perquisites who allows no waste who never quarrels with the other servants who drinks nothing stronger than tea who is to be trusted with untold gold is not a cook easily replaced in this mortal life we put up with many persons and things as lady lundie put up with her cook the woman lived as it were on the brink of dismissal but thus far the woman kept her place 
getting her holidays when she asked for them, which, to do her justice, was not often, and sleeping always, go where she might with the family, with a locked door, in a room by herself. Hester Dethridge advanced slowly to the table at which Lady Lundie was sitting. A slate and pencil hung at her side, which she used for making such replies as were not to be expressed by a gesture or by a motion of the head. She took up the slate and pencil, and waited with stony submission for her mistress to begin. Lady Lundie opened the proceedings with the regular formula of inquiry which she had used with all the other servants. "'Do you know that Miss Sylvester has left the house?' The cook nodded her head affirmatively. "'Do you know at what time she left it?' Another affirmative reply. The first which Lady Lundie had received to that question yet. She eagerly went on to the next inquiry. "'Have you seen her since she left the house?' A third affirmative reply. "'Where?' Hester Dethridge wrote slowly on the slate, in singularly firm, upright characters for a woman in her position of life, these words. "'On the road that leads to the railway, nigh to Mistress Chew's farm.' "'What did you want at Chew's farm?' Hester Dethridge wrote, "'I wanted eggs for the kitchen, and a breath of fresh air for myself.' "'Did Miss Sylvester see you?' A negative shake of the head. "'Did she take the turning that leads to the railway?' Another negative shake of the head. "'She went on, toward the moor?' An affirmative reply. "'What did she do when she got to the moor?' Hester Dethridge wrote, "'She took the footpath which leads to Craig Fernie.' Lady Lundie rose excitedly to her feet. There was but one place that a stranger could go to at Craig Fernie. "'The inn!' exclaimed her ladyship. "'She has gone to the inn!' Hester Dethridge waited immovably. Lady Lundie put a last precautionary question in these words. "'Have you reported what you have seen to anybody else?' An affirmative reply. Lady Lundie had not bargained for that. Hester Dethridge, she thought, must surely have misunderstood her. "'Do you mean that you have told somebody else what you have just told me?' Another affirmative reply. "'A person who questioned you, as I have done?' A third affirmative reply. "'Who was it?' Hester Dethridge wrote on her slate, "'Miss Blanche.' Lady Lundy stepped back, staggered by the discovery that Blanche's resolution to trace Anne Sylvester was, to all appearance, as firmly settled as her own. Her stepdaughter was keeping her own counsel, and acting on her own responsibility. Her stepdaughter might be an awkward obstacle in the way. The manner in which Anne had left the house had mortally offended Lady Lundie. An inveterately vindictive woman, she had resolved to discover whatever compromising elements might exist in the governess's secret, and to make them public property, from a paramount sense of duty, of course, among her own circle of friends but to do this with blanche acting as might certainly be anticipated in direct opposition to her and openly espousing miss sylvester's interests was manifestly impossible the first thing to be done and that instantly was to inform blanche that she was discovered and to forbid her to stir in the matter lady lundie rang the bell twice thus intimating according to the laws of the household that she required the attendance of her own maid she then turned to the cook still waiting her pleasure with stony composure slate in hand you have done wrong said her ladyship severely i am your mistress 
You're bound to answer your mistress. Hester Dethridge bowed her head, in icy acknowledgment of the principle laid down, so far. The bow was an interruption. Lady Lundy resented it. "'But Miss Blanche is not your mistress,' she went on sternly. "'You are very much to blame for answering Miss Blanche's inquiries about Miss Sylvester.' Hester Dethridge, perfectly unmoved, wrote her justification on her slate, in two stiff sentences. "'I had no orders not to answer. I keep nobody's secrets but my own.' That reply settled the question of the cook's dismissal, the question which had been pending for months past. "'You are an insolent woman. I have borne with you long enough. I will bear with you no longer. When your month is up, you go.' In those words Lady Lundy dismissed Hester Dethridge from her service. Not the slightest change passed over the sinister tranquillity of the cook. She bowed her head again, in acknowledgment of the sentence pronounced on her, dropped her slate at her side, turned about, and left the room. The woman was alive in the world, and working in the world, and yet, so far as all human interests were concerned, she was as completely out of the world as if she had been screwed down in her coffin and laid in her grave. Lady Lundy's maid came into the room as Hester left it. "'Go upstairs to Miss Blanche,' said her mistress, "'and say I want her here. Wait a minute,' she paused and considered. Blanche might decline to submit to her stepmother's interference with her. It might be necessary to appeal to the higher authority of her guardian. "'Do you know where Sir Patrick is?' asked Lady Lundy. "'I heard Simpson say, my lady, that Sir Patrick was at the stables.' "'Send Simpson with a message. My compliments to Sir Patrick, and I wish to see him immediately.' The preparations for the departure to the shooting cottage were just completed, and the one question that remained to be settled was whether Sir Patrick could accompany the party, when the man-servant appeared with the message from his mistress. "'Will you give me a quarter of an hour, gentlemen?' said Sir Patrick. "'In that time I shall know for certain whether I can go with you or not.' As a matter of course, the guests decided to wait. The younger men among them, being Englishmen, naturally occupied their leisure time in betting. Would Sir Patrick get the better of the domestic crisis, or would the domestic crisis get the better of Sir Patrick? The domestic crisis was backed at two to one to win. Punctually, at the expiration of the quarter of an hour, Sir Patrick reappeared. The domestic crisis had betrayed the blind confidence which youth and inexperience had placed in it. Sir Patrick had won the day. "'Things are settled and quiet, gentlemen, and I am able to accompany you,' he said. "'There are two ways to the shooting cottage. One, the longest, passes by the inn at Craig Fernie. I am compelled to ask you to go with me by that way. While you push on to the cottage, I must drop behind, and say a word to a person who is staying at the inn.' He had quieted Lady Lundy. He had even quieted Blanche but it was evidently on the condition that he was to go to Craig Fernie in their places, and to see Anne Sylvester himself. Without a word more of explanation, he mounted his horse and led the way out. The shooting party left Windygates. End of section 11. Read by Tony Foster.